0: This is the first after the introduction to the Ordinary Means of Grace, and we're going to do a three-part series, and we've already, um, at least on the Word of God, we're going to do a three-part series. And we'll talk about this and and go through what it's going to be, but the, the, the one today, the objective is to cover the authority of Scripture, just the overall, overarching theme of the authority of Scripture. And I'll probably touch a little bit on what Dave and Sheldon are going to teach about, but... I don't want to dig too deep into their topics because they're going to have an entire respective class for that. So what I'll do is we'll open up in prayer, and then we'll go ahead and get started um, just with some general overview uh, topics. So we'll pray. um, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, the weather. And thank you for uh, the fact that we can just get out and be free to drive to church and come to worship you, come to learn, um, come to talk to others, come to fellowship, and come to... Um, just uh, receive your word, receive teaching and relish in the love that you showed us through Christ on the cross Um, may the words that we talk today reflect the truth of the gospel, the truth of the scripture, may it fall on hearts that are receptive and may we just be encouraged by the conversation uh, the edification of what scripture has to offer and maybe we'd be encouraged to use it and to read it and to teach it and to uh, to pray it. It's in uh, your name that we pray. Amen. So before we even dive into the topic, uh, if you read the weekly blurb, uh, Jeremy asked me to write a little something about the, the class. And as I was thinking through, reflecting, kind of um, preparing for the, the lesson today, I thought about the first thing is that this Bible is in front of us, it's probably on our shelf, it's probably on our nightstand or in the kitchen or somewhere, and it's there every day, and we often take things for granted. Every day we just take things for granted. I know that I wake up and I make coffee, and actually I was thinking about this, I wake up in a cool house, you know, we have the luxury of air conditioning. United States, I think 90%, I was trying to look up some statistic to back this up, 9% of American homes have air conditioning. You compare that to the rest of the world, and we are like the densest country of air conditioning. Beth and I just went to Europe, and even some of the hotels had lackluster air conditioning, relied heavily on the breeze by opening up the uh, the window sills in the... And in the hotel or the windows to be able to get a breeze coming in. The, the hotel that we stayed at the first couple nights the air conditioning didn't even work and you couldn't really even open up the windows. so it was kind of muggy in there. I mean we just we take for granted very common luxuries. So I'll turn it to you. What are things that, that we take for granted on a daily basis?
1: We can drive.
0: We can drive, absolutely. We have roads, we have cars, we, we can afford these things. What else?
2: Food in the pantry.
0: Food in the pantry, absolutely. We have a very long. I mean, think about Mark George. Think about what we heard about Sri Lanka just a few weeks ago. That you know, where the church rallied to send some funds to Sri Lanka. I mean, they're waiting for weeks in line. not weeks for for a long time in line to get food. You know, I've been to Nicaragua now twice. Um, I know everyone has stories um, of going to countries, missions, um, impoverished areas, but it really was um, shed a light on what we have. And what we take for granted um, you know the the restroom facilities the food on the table every day the buildings that we have we are incredibly lucky clean water Clean water, absolutely clean consumable water mm-hmm. you know that's other countries may have clean water but it may not be consumable or it may have bacteria it may make you sick and so all of this is set up the context that we have that Bible this is not a Bible we have that Bible sitting on our our shelf every day that we often take for granted and there's articles there's things written about it but we often take the actual content of the Word of God for granted and it's an indispensable resource in the life of the believer and it should never be taken for granted but oftentimes I do think that we undervalue this treasure trove that we've been gifted a couple verses just to kind of set up the context to set up the theme Um, somebody want to pull out uh, Hebrews 4 verse 12 you probably already know this one some of you can may quote it but I'll read another one while you're pulling up Hebrews because I I really love starting with Hebrews and starting with this uh, particular verse just to talk about the context of it and then we have uh, 1 Peter in 1 Peter 1 23 um, the scriptures tell us that you've been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. The Word of God is living, it's abiding, it is breathing, it is with us, and we should consume it and learn it and and speak it. So what is Hebrews 4.12? Anyone who has it want to just speak up and read it.
1: For the Word of God is thriving and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, preparing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the
0: thoughts and intents of the heart. Wow. I mean, just packed into that one verse, it gives us a lot of what the scripture offers us. It's living, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, it cuts right to the heart, and we'll get to all of these different things, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So, clearly, we have evidence, we have scriptures to support that we can all agree that the Word of God should have a primary place in the life of the church and the life of the believer. And so our objective today is to talk about the authority, just the general authority of scripture. And as I mentioned, this is the first in a three-part series. So I'm gonna set the stage today with just this general overview and I'll serve as a backdrop, a foundation for the next two sessions that'll be carried out by both Dave and Sheldon. And I think next week it's Dave, correct Sheldon, you're the week after. That's right. Next week it's Dave, who's the Word of God for preaching and family worship. And then the final session in this sort of three-part mini-series is the session on the Word of God for personal Bible study, for personal consumption. So this morning, we're going to take a look, I sort of have set this up in three things. We're going to take a look at some verses that will help us through the authority of Scripture. And then I'll open up the conversation, but I, there's, there's historical context to the authority of Scripture that I think is important to consider. We're not going to make it a didactic lecture, but I, I do think there's some importance to the historical consideration of the authority of Scripture. And then certainly in our modern context... Um, the modern quote-unquote crisis of the authority of Scripture, and so we'll sort of dive into those concepts. But I'm going to ask first, what does it mean to you when you hear authority of Scripture? What does that mean to you? What kind of questions does that bring up? Or what kind of um, uh, comments does that bring up in your mind? Truth
1: and power.
0: Truth and power. I like that. The Scripture is full of truth. What do you mean by power? When you need to
1: hold on to the Word of God in order to walk with you Mm. We know your way. Okay. You have to uh, know that the power is in the
0: word that He <clears throat> gives us the power to not fear. Okay. He gives us faith
1: to walk the path, and He gives us strength to continue
0: through. Well, it's like in Psalms, you know, that Your word is a lamp into my feet, light into my path. It's very, it's very so so discerned. So you can have discernment of the Scripture. Okay. What else? When you think of authority of Scripture, something you should obey. Something you should obey absolutely okay so there's in. there's things to adhere to there's instructions
3: transcendent like it's above me
0: ah there we go she might have cheated a little bit because she worked through uh, my my lesson with me no she didn't she actually didn't even talk about this but that's true yes there's transcendence there's there it clearly is above there's there's something there so obviously when we, you know we go to scripture but we have to find out what the scripture says about scripture which is an interesting thing to do so, what about one of the confessions that we adhere to as a church, or that we abide by, that we follow, the London Baptist Confession? What does it say about the authority of Scripture? Actually, it's like in the very first chapter of the London Baptist Confession. It says, and I quote from there, The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, the wisdom, and the power of God as to leave men inexcusable. I love how they throw that in there. Men are inexcusable. Yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and his will which is necessary unto salvation. So scripture itself, I think those are three key things about the authority of scripture. There's sufficiency. There's certainty. And there's infallibility. Those are like three overarching concepts. Now, what about Scripture? Are there any Scriptures that you can think of? There's probably one in everyone's mind that you can go to in the Bible that tells us about the authority of Scripture, that tells us about the utility of Scripture. This is almost like a leading question. Sometimes you don't ask those questions the right way, but it's like a leading question to get you to think of a particular verse. But does anybody have any verses in mind? Okay. That we, we went that one. That was the uh, I believe that was Hebrews. That was Hebrews four twelve. Sharper than any two edged sword. So that's certainly a cornerstone verse about the about the power of Scripture. It's living and breathing nature. Timothy. Timothy. Okay. That's it. All Scripture is inspired, etc. Second Timothy three fifteen through seventeen. And to save space on my notes, I didn't actually put them in here. So I'm going to pull that up. Second Timothy three. If you want to jot it down or remember it. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. That's not. Is that the line th- that's like it pertains to all
3: things that pertain to life and godliness okay. or that it's useful for instruction? That's is it. Got? Okay,
0: got it's it. 3.16. 3. Oh, thank you. 3.16 through 17. Did you, if you have it, if you'd like to read it, I couldn't get there. All Looking
4: scripture up. is God breathed and is useful for teaching, mm-hmm. rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work
0: wow i mean it's clear right there all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching reproof correction and training that guy covers the gambit right there it tells us right there that that, that scripture is god breathed and that it is useful for everything in our life in the life of the church in the life of the believer for teaching for reproof, for correction, for training, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So that's probably one of the cornerstones, that in Hebrews. But there's other ones that I found uh, through the London Baptist Confession that I'll share. We don't have to read each of them in detail, but if you want to jot them down or I can send out notes later um, Luke 16, 29. And Luke 16, 29 and 31. But Abraham said, "They have Moses and the prophets. Let him, them hear them." And then in thirty-one, he said to them, "If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be conceived. if Someone should convinced, not conceived. Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead." So again, here the New Testament is referring back to the use of the Old Testament, the use of Scripture. Ephesians, Ephesians two and Ephesians six. These are more from uh, about the authority of Scripture. Ephesians 2.20 Built on the foundation, I'll start back in, in 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And then finally, Ephesians 6. Verses sixteen through seventeen. This is in the passage of the whole armor of God. If someone wants to read it, if you have it, we'll close in the the, the scriptures um, that speak to the authority of Scripture with this one, Ephesians six sixteen through seventeen.
1: In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, with all perseverance,
0: in mm-hmm. supplication for all the saints. Thank you. So clearly, and that one even refers back to the sword of the Spirit. So clearly, we have scriptures that support the use of scripture <laughs> as the authority, but as the only sufficient certain and infallible rule of all setting knowledge so that's those are scriptures that wrap us into the utility or the the statements of of the bible of the scripture as authoritative so then if we declare that it's authoritative if we say okay there's sufficiency there's certainty there's infallibility it's an authoritative body of work so what how should we approach the scripture what should we do with it once that we declare it's our, our authority. What do you do with Scripture? It's not a trick question. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. <laughs> Cherish it. Write it on our hearts. Write it on our hearts.
3: Consider what it says is true.
0: That's right. Consider what it says is true. And we'll get to that because I think that has somewhat been compromised um, in modern culture.
5: I think if you view it as an authority or a standard, then you measure other things against it.
0: Okay, measure other things against it. It's
4: there.
0: Right, it's there. It's it, 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 it's a defined standard. It's a foundation. It's unchanging, and it therefore can serve as a barometer, a test case, so to speak. I don't want to set it up just as that, but that's definitely a utility of it, for sure. When so, I
1: was growing up, there was a real dispute and fight because various translations of the Bible mm. who were coming up against King James and mm-hmm. the church really struggled to know what to do with that.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, I think that goes even something I didn't even prepare in this in this lesson, but that's definitely I mean, you've got ESV, New Living Translation, New International Version, King James, New American Standard. I don't know, that's 5 of them that I could think of the what? 10 translations. You know, I think Pick one and adhere to it, or pick one and, and, you know, see what others say. Um, I think that's definitely an interesting interesting point. Um, You know, I think we tend to use the ESV a lot around here, but I think most, if not all, translations have a um, consistency to the original texts. And I think that's the intent of any translation is to stay adherent to the original text, the Hebrew, the Greek, the Aramaic, but I think a great point because I think a lot of individuals still adhere to the fact that if it's not a particular version, then it's not the truth and the authority of Scripture. But where you're getting to is the utility or the impact of the church's say in things, and I think we're gonna get a little bit into that in the historical context. So. Thanks for bringing that part up. Jeremy has recommended this little book. It's more of like an essay. It's about 50 pages. And I did not get a chance to read every single page of this, but I scanned the majority of it. And I want to go back and read it in depth. I would encourage it to anybody because it's really an encouraging little read. It's J.C. Ryle's How Do You Read the Bible? And I consider it an essay because he makes about eight salient points in there and those points really pose as really helpful postulations and in our future weeks i think we're going to dig into these a little bit when we talk about teaching in the family context and the church context and in personal edification we're going to get into these more but i want to read these off and then i'd love some opinions just just from the group on what do you think of these so i'll read about three or four of them and then we'll pause there so i like the first one no book is written in such a manner as the bible it's written with such inspiration, it's written by the inspired word of God onto pages that he inspired men, fallible men, in their, inf- in their fallibility and human nature, were able to faithfully ascribe what the Spirit infused into them, into the, into the, into the scriptures. That knowledge of the Bible is absolutely necessary to salvation. That one really hit me. I think that's sweet. Again, I think I take that for granted. The fact that the scriptures have the instruction in there for what's necessary for salvation. We can cling to that, adhere to that, teach that, and present it to other people. That no book can do so much for everyone who reads it aright. It's the only rule of faith and practice, and it always, it is, and always has been the food of all true servants of God. In Reflections, those are about four of the eight points. Any thoughts around that? No book is written in such a manner as the Bible. The knowledge of the Bible is absolutely necessary to salvation. Contains No book contains such matter as the Bible does.
2: Just going back to your opening comments about taking things for granted. Mm. Uh, that was the impact, just reading through that, for me is... We have such an incredible resource that we we take for granted so easily. Absolutely. And it's, um, yeah, especially in our day and age where we have multiple copies of it collecting dust on our shelves. We've got got it on our phone. We've, we've we have access to the Word of God more than any other time in history, and it's probably the the time in history where we most take it for granted. Absolutely.
0: I mean, we can open up our computer right now and for free look at the Greek, the Hebrew, get um, some commentaries, you know, put up parallels of the Gospels. I mean, we could be self-made Google scholars on the Scripture and still take it for granted. Even R.C. Sproul said that, even, even he said that the, the, one of the crises in the church today um, in one of his uh, lectures that I was listening to and preparing, he said one of the crises today is we, we spend so much time in seminary teaching people the prolegomenon, the, the history and the time and the language and the context, they simply don't know what's in it. They don't know the content of the scripture. So,
5: this is kind of like a half-baked thought. So yeah, that's might okay. Come out very, uh, it might be a little bit or something. That's but, all right. But, um the, uh you started off the things we take for granted. Yeah. Right? With a, in the class, and one thing I was thinking is like we just we we have a system that is available in the lives that we live, so therefore we can become individual kind of experts, if you will. Okay. The focus areas like you are a pharmacist, right? And Danny is a Long IT guy, and you know it's like we all of focus areas because of we know this little thing. Right. And so a couple of. Friends and I got together last week and we tried to like kind of come together with some ideas come from our different focus areas Okay, right? we all fairly smart in the things that we do, but it took us three and a half hours of Conversation before we came down to like a <clears throat> nugget of understanding between the two of us That was the intersection of all three of our yeah areas of expertise account, mm-hmm. right and the cool thing about the Bible is we can we are we view ourselves as experts in one very small narrow piece of life well the bible can be applied into all areas of all of our lives and its ability to do that regardless of like the situation is pretty doggone impressive absolutely right? just to communicate amongst ourselves in three people that knew each other that understood the topic and that knew where we were trying to get to it took us what felt like a really long time to get to like one understanding together. Mm-hmm. The Bible can be applied to all conversations
0: at all time, in all areas. Yeah. And it's still the authority on all. Absolutely. That's pretty impressive. It is. I mean, I think that's, that's such an important point, Barry, because I think it's, you know, speaking to transcendence in another man, I think it, it transcends everything and has the ability to provide insight and context everywhere. I think I mean it, it's it's incredible, and you know it's been what thousands of years in the making with a heavy amount of critique, um, heavy amount of I mean there's probably more books I don't have any statistics to to back this up. There's probably more books written about the Bible than there are about any other subject. That may be a false statement if you're listening in the uh, the Ethereum world and can can check that. That's probably. An inaccurate statement, but at least it feels like there's been more books written over the course of history about the Bible, about theology, about the historical Jesus, about this, about that, and it still remains, in our minds, the authoritative body. Now, has it always, that's a great segue, has it always remained authoritative? Well, yes, in a way, but has that always been clear in the history of the church? Not so much. And I think this is really important to consider because a lot of rebuttals, whenever we talk in, in, in our modern context about the, we hold to the fact that the Bible is authoritative, there's some really impressive rebuttals that can come to that, and I think we should take a little bit of time in an apologetic sense to think about that because it's really informative to the overall discussion of the authority of Scripture.
6: Jeremy, to that point real quick, I was going yeah. to say, I think something I've been thinking about lately is, I don't. so I've been thinking about like, these systems of thought, the way that we analyze things, theological implications. You know, one of those is hermeneutics, right? Redemptive historical. We look at the whole of scripture as this story of man's redemption, God's redemption of man and all these things, and mm-hmm. that's good and great. But I, I look at some of these things sometimes and think it's, a lot of these things are more both and as opposed to and or mm-hmm. often, because I think sometimes, particularly in our sort of reformed circles, we tend to think that. I've heard statements made, not necessarily in our church, but in other Reformed contexts or conversations, where the Bible is not a guidebook. It's not a book telling us how to live, right, and that's just not true, right? Um, the Bible is the unfolding story of God's grace towards us, and there is redemption mm-hmm. uh, for us, but not every reference to righteousness in Scripture is talking about Christ's imputed righteousness to us. Right. right? Like, we can literally be instructed in ways of righteousness. Like, It is in some way, and it's not in totality, Mm -hmm. right? But to view Scripture only as this story that we read, uh, you know, to just remind ourselves. Like, the done is there, but there's a do that follows the done, and they have to live in balance and harmony. Absolutely. But to say that Scripture isn't helpful for us in ways of instructions and righteousness. Yes. Right? Like, the whole of Scripture is useful in that way, right? And just because God's law may not apply to us in certain ways now— does it mean that it wasn't important at some time? It's not important to consider right. now, right? So, just been thinking through that, like, how do we, how do we properly elevate scripture to the place that it needs to be at, as opposed to bringing it down to sort of the level we want it to be?
0: Yeah, I, I think Am that's I, that's so good. No, no, no please. Just to
5: say that reminds me of Ryan's uh, comment in Big Church uh, last week, right? Like Big, was, Church? Big Church, <laughs> Big, Church. Yeah, Big Church, yeah, Big Big Big, Big Church. Um, Sorry, I got a four-year-old. Come, exactly. Um, Where he was like, Is, does God, or maybe it was in here. I don't know. Um, it was, uh, does God like really care about like the football game or the whatever or does like you know we're gonna like get this house or live here or like this kind of stuff? Yes, he does. But he's thinking on such a whole different level that the Bible like permeates who we are. And so that like it guides the individual decisions. And we a lot of times, I at least like me, I feel like, oh, the individual decision is what is going to be like done for me by mm-hmm. God. Right. But he's done the do piece, right, that Danny's mm-hmm. talking about, but then you still have to
0: do this down here. Because we gotta live our individual lives guided by the big overarching thing. And we talked about this in the sanctification class, that those do's are not then a Change in our vertical position with God. Those dues are still instructive. Those dues are still something we need to do. We should be doing because we're instructed to do it. But we're going to fail at those dues. Like, we're going to fail miserably at it because we still are in a depraved state. Welcome to humanity. We're horrible. Like, we can't do it the way that we should do it. The only person that ever did was Christ. And so I, I love this, Danny, because we really have to live in the both and. We really have to understand the historical context, the redemptive historical beauty of Scripture, but the fact that it's, it does have those things in there that help us and guide us and teach us, we have to hold on to those things. And that, particularly, I think, you know, we'll get to that in the modern crisis, that's been lost. That ability to do that in modern context has been lost. And I've got an article that I printed down from Modern Reformation. I'll send it to you and everyone uh, that's interested because, I mean, I just I almost just want to sit up here and read it because it exudes everything I want to talk about when it comes to the authority of Scripture. But really quickly, I do want to talk, because I, I, I think that's probably more impactful, but I do want to talk briefly about this historical context, because that, that sets the backdrop for conversations. So in, you know we talk about the doctrine of justification by faith alone as like the cornerstone of the Reformation, which it is. But the other thing that was sort of lurking in the background was this whole idea of sola scriptura, only by scripture for only scripture alone and that sola means scripture alone is the ultimate authoritative revelation of god that the church does not have any authority of an equal footing with the sacred scripture and why is that important does anyone know the one council that talks about this in the in history there's one particular ecumenical council that addresses this very subject And it's why it's so imperative, because at this point, the the church was in crisis. In response to the Reformation, in response to that idea that we have the justification alone, but Scripture alone, there was a particular council that was put together to talk solely about that. Anybody know which one that is? It's the Council of Trent. I had to look it up. It's in the 1500s, mid-1500s. And Rome's response to this particular question, it spoke directly to the authority of church and the authority of Scripture. And Rome confessed with complete confidence during that council that the Bible came through the Holy Spirit. It was dictated by the Holy Spirit to infallible men. If I said infallible earlier, I meant fallible, to fallible men. That God revealed himself through the sacred scripture. But then they put this pesky little and in there. They said through the sacred scripture and through the tradition of the church. And that really starts getting you in a slippery slope because at that point, what is considered the barometer of truth? Now you're at the bottom of the slide at that point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think you're. Right. That's exactly right. You've already put the Crisco on, and you're just down.
5: Like you're like you're like
0: at the bottom of the slide. Like you just you just jetted your way down to the very bottom. It really gives the Pope guidance on. Ah. To be done right, or and I'm leader of a church, right? Exactly, and I'm not just picking on Rome because you know. Look, you know, there's a lot of dialogue that's in, in even the evangelical circles, but this is one that's so salient in historical context, and it becomes really important too when you consider the next place. But let's take a break here. We talked. I just I brought up the London Baptist Confession. We have that. We have Westminster. You know, what are, there's some others. But what do we consider authoritative? Are are those? And I'm sort of playing. Um, guess what I'm saying here? Are those authoritative?
3: scripture.
0: Not like scripture. Why? Because they're not inspired by God. Bingo. They they reproduce faithfully. I think R.C. Sproul said it in a a really nice way in one of the lectures. He's like, they reproduce faithfully what's written in scripture. So we we can hold them and we can adhere to them and use them as instructive guidance. Same as theology books in as much as There's good theology in those books. But like we can use those good guidance as as things to reflect on, things to guide us, but they're not authoritative. The only authority is the word of God, the infallible, inspired word of God. And and so what's important about that, I'm getting there. So what we have from this trend of the council there is what's called in theological context, this is like the only word that I really want to throw out, a dual source theory of special revelation. Meaning there's two sources. They use the the authority of the Scripture and the tradition of the church, which ultimately puts the church on equal footing with the authority of Scripture, and then you just start that that really dangerous spiral. Because at that point, to consider what's authoritative, you then have your choice and your pick of the authority of Scripture and the tradition of the church. I should say the doctrine of Scripture and the tradition of the church. And at that point, you sort of lost your ability to have a solid barometer. I
4: just would bear saying that I mean that a lot of these things that have already been talked about in the Bible, like even what you're talking about. I think it was Paul was helping the Jewish church he was like, you want to go to temple to temple? But that's not what we're doing. Right. Just don't confuse the two. So and it sound, it's the same argument. It it's is. the Same issue. What do you do with tradition? Right. And once it gets in the way.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: No, I think that's, that's a really accurate point. Just, just the, more, the more times that we talk about things I'm like, yeah, it was already addressed in the Bible. But it's like we find different ways to
2: like have conversations about it. No, I think or you're right. I, I think you're totally right. And Even as outside of spiritual matters, outside of biblical matters, there's probably so much I do that is a tradition of sorts that in my mind is the right way to do something, mm-hmm. and I think that's just how we operate as humans. Is tradition tends to be the, our our guiding light in yeah. a sense that trumps other things. So when you set up a system of tradition and the Bible, sorry, your tradition is going to keep absolutely your tradition is going to keep uh, out you know overruling. Well, it's comfortable scripture.
0: It, it's comfortable. It's 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 um it's tradition in the sense that it's repetitive, you, you know it. it, it's like muscle memory, you're going to keep doing it. Like, it, it's what you do. It, 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 it's, it feels right, and therefore it's almost going to like, like you said, just continues to escalate up in that position of like, well, it's what's always been done, so it must be right. Well, there's,
4: a, there's a dynamic aspect of tradition where the older generation is adhering to it, the newer generation is trying to feel, find out what's obsolete, what they should keep, which is different from Scripture because it's not changing. Mm-hmm. A tradition comes from humans, so it's uh, contaminated. Yeah. It's, it has to be contaminated. It mm-hmm. cannot be pure. And the longer it goes, the more contaminated it will tend to get. Since it's coming from us. We can try our hardest to keep <laughs> it pure, but
0: because it's of human hands and human works, it's going to be faulted. Right.
4: Well, you, you know, I was just to say, you know, I bet it keeps changing because there's like the jokes about like, cutting the tip off a roast and that's just what you do and you find out the, the great-grandmother did it because the, the roasted pan was too small mm-hmm. or the oven was too small. So it's like things based simply on context Right. but it's always changing which is not what scripture Right. Better. It doesn't change, so there's like this these two things, they
0: don't go together Yeah. So it's like
4: you have to let tradition fall over something that's
0: not changing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, here's the something that R.C. Sproul said. Um, for time's sake, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I think I will now just because it, it's appealing to this exact point. You know, Sproul said he was giving a lecture in Philadelphia on actually the inerrancy of Scripture. And he saw a friend an old friend of his they used to do bible study and read together and pray and he saw him come up to him afterwards and he was so happy so they went out to dinner and they were talking about family and they were talking about kids and everything and then his friend looks at him he says rc he's like i gotta tell you something he's like my view has changed on what you were talking about tonight i no longer adhere to the infallibility and authority of scripture. I just can't. He had studied at seminary, he's abroad. He had been in foreign missions and accumulated a body of knowledge that, of critique and everything. And he says, I can no longer adhere to that. As R.C. said, he was saddened. And he started dialoguing with him about it. He's like, well, he's like, well, what remaining parts of the faith that we shared do you still have? And he kind of perked up and he's like, well, I still believe that Christ is my savior. And he's like, well, I'm glad to hear that. Charlie, I'm glad to hear that. But tell me, where do you get your instructions from? He's like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "Well, if you don't believe the infallibility and authority of Scripture, where do you heed your knowledge? Where do you understand about salvation? Where do you understand what your um, uh, what your instructions are?" He's like, "Oh, I see where you're going with this, RC." He said, "I get it from the church." He's like, okay, great, the one in Chicago, the one in Philadelphia, the one in Louisiana. He's like, no, the Presbyterian church. He's like, oh, which one? He's like, oh, no, 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 not, not any specific one. When the church meets and decrees something or makes a statement on something, and R.C. kind of jokingly says, he's like, oh, the one that met last year that said one thing or the one that met this year that completely reversed that decision and put it another way. The whole point is if you appeal to the tradition or if you appeal to a human body, You've thrown yourself awry because you have no barometer of truth. And the 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 scripture must serve as a barometer of truth. And now you get down a slippery slope whenever you think that both of those in the same context... You then have people, when you say, yep, the Scripture's authoritative, and they come to you and they say, well, how can the Scripture be authoritative there, uh, Jeremy? Because, well, wasn't the canon of Scripture determined by the church? So does not at that point the church have authority over the Scriptures because they then put the canon in order? Whoa! Seems like a pretty good line of logic, doesn't it? What do you think? I'll open it up. I, I feel like I'm teaching, and I need to stop doing that. This is Sunday school, not, 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 not a lesson. It's not big church. <laughs> it's not big church. That's right. It's not big church. <laughs>
1: so um, my mind just keeps going back to uh, the, the church versus, I guess, the world. Mm-hmm. Um, because when um, Jeremiah goes through some, some classes, he needs to do debate. Mm-hmm. And one of the rules in debate is that you cannot use Scripture. Hmm. Okay. They throw it out in order to... So he had to debate on capital punishment. How can you actually have a debate on capital punishment and throw Scripture out? That was very difficult for me Yeah. to swallow, you know, to mm-hmm. have a... You know, so when you come to... Uh, the world's perspective, you know, you, although we hold scripture as infallible and the authority, the world does not.
0: Mm. Absolutely. We're, we are getting there. That, that is like, that's the closing, that's the closing part of this class because no, no, you're, you're like, you're spot on because you're anticipating where we're heading with this. I, I think you're spot on because that's exactly what the world, um, doesn't, doesn't hold we've lost that ability to say that the bible is authoritative. We've lost that well as a culture, not not as a church. We we adhere to that. But the 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 culture, the world no longer adheres to that authority. The thing that about the canon that I think is important to realize is that at least, <laughs> at least when the church created the canon, they were not as arrogant enough to say that it was all by their own authority. They used a particular Latin word. This is the only, I guess I said the only one I, earlier, but the only the other thing I'll throw out is this Latin word, Recipimus, which I learned means received. So they felt, at least in their ability, this is now the canon was was, was created in like the second century. And so this was well before the Council of Trent. You know, this is, Second is, you know, 200, 100, 200, 300 in that, in that time frame. And at that point, they were not so arrogant to claim that they were creating the canon, that they had authority of the scriptures, that they were receiving and embracing those books as already having authority over us. And so at that point, the canon was put together by a body of people who still felt that they were receiving it from an authority. But that doesn't answer the question about where you went. And I think, you know, so there's an essay from Modern Reformation. I would love to send to everyone. Maybe we can find a way to tag it just because it's so impactful. Jacob Smith wrote this. Um, It's called The Authority of Scripture. And what he says in the end as we close in the last ten minutes. People, when confronted with biblical authority, are either outraged or they glare at you with indifference and throw back that old cultural defeat or how can an ancient and frankly offensive book in any way be authoritative over me especially if i don't make it authoritative so the great battle facing the church today from within the church and from without is one of where what is and where can one find truth So how does the Bible, as believed by Protestants, still speak authoritatively to a world that doesn't recognize its authority?
3: When we don't neuter it. uh mm. used think of John MacArthur, whenever he gets on, like Larry King, Compare him to anyone else that gets on there that's from a church. And they'll always hit him with the, the question of, what do you think about this hard thing that's in the Bible? And John, you know, he'll stay in line with the bible on it. you know it's what the bible says he uh he doesn't like i i see that tendency in myself to do opposite of what john does to do what the other pastors would do where it's like this is this is hard to hear so let me make it more easy to take you know or or whatever and it's you no know, god's word is living and active right and it's it's the power of salvation uh it's what God's Word says. It's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: So. so you're speaking to it as authoritative. You're holding it as authoritative and not wavering. At that, I think that's exactly what we have to do. But I'll even turn the question this way. So why? Why does the world not view the Scripture as authoritative? Or why is there a propensity? I'll say it that way. Why is there a propensity for the world to not recognize the authority of Scripture?
1: Because it interferes with
0: their thoughts. It interferes with their thoughts. Well, it is a source of truth. It, it is a source of truth. Right. Right. And so, like, it, it interferes
5: with
6: the ability to say everything's relative. Mm-hmm. Right. It is. Um, it is infinite. Mm-hmm. Right. So we are finite beings trying to understand the special revelation of something that is infinite. Mm-hmm. And it is offensive because it is self-confirming and self-referential. Ooh. There we go. Right. So, and it just goes back to the only way that somebody can look at scripture and go, "Yeah, this is the authority I need in my life." You know, I receive this or I understand it on any level is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you if
2: you accept the word of God as truth, then you also have to accept that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Mm-hmm. And no man comes to the Father except through him. Mm-hmm. That is the linchpin right there. That is absolutely Jesus Christ. I just say it puts God in its rightful place. Do what? It puts God in its rightful place. It
0: does. It puts God in its rightful
4: place. I think this goes back to the original question about what's the authority, authority. Yeah. God conceived he has authority about the way he designed it, what it's intent was, the rest of it, and, and like progressive Christianity or some of those others, like, I want tradition of church, but I just don't wanna follow it that way. Yeah. So that's where they they hang on to the tradition, but not the belief. Yep, scripture. But, but if you put God in his rightful place,
5: like inherently you have to have put us <laughs> in our rightful place. Ah. And so
0: not only do you push him super high, but you gotta suck at the same time. So yeah, so so what is putting us in our rightful <laughs> place? That's one thing. Yeah. <laughs> so when you say put us in our rightful place, what does that mean? You, you said we suck, right? Yeah. So the thing is, we love darkness. This is where Jacob Smith is going in that humans at the baseline, because we're fault. Because we're, we, are, we are sin, we are born into this state of depravity. We love darkness, we love sin, we're in a depraved state. John 3, 19 to 20, I'll read it for time's sake. And this is the judgment, that light has come to the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light to test it, lest his deeds be exposed. We, at baseline, are sin. And so we're putting us in our rightful place. That's one reason that we, um, that we fail to as a humanity uh, uh, accept the authority of Scripture. But the other is that we've reduced sin to simply Bad behaviors, a set of immoral actions, or as he says in this article, the characteristics of an uncivilized society that can be overcome with both time and education, that we can actually do something about the state that we're in. That we have the ability, as a human race, to do something ourselves about the state we're in. So we're denying the fact that we are in our place where we are. Go ahead. Sorry, I feel like I'm talking
5: a lot. But those no. verses came immediately after John 3.16. Yeah, they did. And we tend to... Forget the fact that we stop at John 3.16. Yep. And then, like, this is why he had to come. Right. Right? We don't want to take it to that level because it's a lot easier just to quote John 3.16. Right. And say, okay,
0: we're cool. But, exactly. But it follows up with the fact that we're wicked. <laughs> that we're awful. Yeah,
6: so, putting, putting us in a rightful place means understanding. Yeah. Uh, understanding depravity and that mm-hmm. we're not some blank slate that gets written on later. We start evil. Yep. Right? It's understanding that there is a separation between us and God. Yep. And going back to that whole, like, that what tradition is, like, it, at, at best, it's confusing and uncharitable. At worst, it sniffs of the garden and the yep. snake saying, hey, just eat the fruit and you can be like God. That's and right. That's what that is. That's it. It's, hu- it's hubris, right? It is. It's human arrogance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so putting us in our rightful place means understanding that God is set apart from us in a way that is almost incomprehensible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it is incomprehensible outside of the Holy Spirit. And we get that from the scriptures. The scriptures tell us that. So
0: we've got this, and you you like nailed where where we're going at the end of it because that whole both and like we have to understand that redemptive historical picture that's in the scriptures because that's like that that's something that you can find nowhere else. That 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 is contained within the scriptures. And it paints this picture, but it also, on the other end of it, we talk at length in our sanctification class about the fact that there's utility in the scriptures for instruction, that we should heed this, that we should do this during our, our sanctification journey throughout life until we reach that point of ultimate glorification. One of the things he suggests in here is doing exactly what you said, is that you only put the Bible in one position or the other. You don't have that both and. And what some churches do, and the reason that we were, we fail to reject authority, is because we simply um, make everything in the Bible an answer to a moral problem. And so all that you ever hear in a church, not, not the fact that these are not good things, I'll preface that by the saying that the Bible is full of instruction, things that we should be doing and things that we should learn and, and, and adhere to, But sometimes you hear it where it's just five steps to a better marriage or just 14 steps to being a better person of integrity. And when when you you, um, demote, for example, for for, uh, lack of a better word, demote the scriptures to just that, then it becomes another self-help book on the bookshelf that then will begin to collect dust. And it's lost its authoritative ability because you don't have the weight of the scripture in there. And so... He really points out what Jesus did with the woman at the well. How does Jesus interact with the woman in the well in John 4? I think it's 4. Well, first of all, he doesn't respond in a helpful way. He doesn't, he doesn't, like, he doesn't say, you know, he does provide some comfort. He, he, first of all, he asked her for a drink. And then he doesn't proceed to go back to Israel and say, here's five steps from Israel on how to have more fruitful relationships. What he does, because obviously she's had five husbands and now she's living with a sixth. It's not even her husband. So he doesn't turn immediately to the Old Testament and say, okay dear, here are five steps that we learn from the Old Testament on how to have a better relationship. What does he do? <laughs> he cuts right to the chase and says, the only answer is through me. <laughs> the only answer is through me. And so the encounter here clearly shows the authority of the Bible comes from the revelation that Christ is Lord who meets the deepest need for forgiveness and absolution. So to Danny's point, you have to hold both of them together. I think you're absolutely spot on. You have to have the fact that the answer to the world and its problem and to our state is only through Christ and the fact that the book has the instructions and the authoritative character for how we should be living our lives. And so I want to close with one before I mean, I'll open it up for some comments because we're right at time, but I want to close with a quote. It's a longer quote, but just stick with me because I can't say it any better than he said it in this article. He says, The Bible is authoritative whether one trusts or does not trust in its authority. The point and the authority of Scriptures are lost, however, when we make the Bible about anything else other than Christ and Him crucified for the sins of the world, when it becomes only a guide to self-improvement, or some sort of mandate to humanly save the world, the church finds itself in a standoff against the world which argues that even though it works for you, it ain't necessarily so. So when it's a when it's relegated to only a self-help book, then it becomes placed on that shelf of self-help books. And it can just be pulled from and referenced, but it's lost its authoritative power. And when the words of the law and gospel are rightly distinguished, he goes on in that article to talk about law and gospel, and I think that that's really uh imperative there because the law is instructive it condemns us we've talked about in many other occasions the three uses of the law when the words of the law and the gospel are rightly distinguished christ is always presented in the fullness of both glory fullness of his glory as judge and savior and this is where the bible's authority lies and like a sword cuts right through of humanity's subjective objections when the law and gospel are distinguished they reveal the blindness caused by sin and give christ a solution as a result, we can trust that God will work through his word. It shall not return empty. It shall succeed in the thing for which he sent it. And that's Isaiah 55:11. So ultimately, at least in closing from that, if you hold both the truth of the Scripture from what Christ did, the answer to the humanity's problem, and the fact that it has instruction and it's, it's imperatives in there are for our daily living and instruction, then I think we have the right view of the authority of Scripture. But any closing thoughts before we pray? I'll, I'll leave that open.
3: Uh, I recently read Devoted to God by Ferguson, mm-hmm. and he makes a really good point, using Romans as an example on this whole like, imperative thing, and indicatives. Uh, so just as a quick recap, indicatives, what is true, imperatives, what we should do because mm-hmm. of what is true, regardless of which order those appear in the text, right? Mm-hmm. So in Romans, I won't get the numbers right, but there's like 300 something indicatives and then there's a handful of imperatives. Yeah. So it's a whole lot more of what is true because of what God has done or what is true about God, Mm -hmm. what is true about you because of all that, you know, all these different things. And then what must you do because of all that truth? Yeah. And and I think that's the whole, you know, light, light yoke or easy burden, um, the rest, all these different things. I uh, highly recommend that book for anyone that would like something to read. Yeah,
0: I like that. But, I mean, ultimately, what you're saying there is you're holding the context of both Christ, Christ crucified, and instruction in full support, or I guess in, 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 in totality. That it's both of those are contained in Scripture, and I think you have to have both of those to think about when you think the authority of Scripture.
1: And like you were saying, doesn't change the vertical, right? So that's that's what mm-hmm. compare, that's where the indicative
3: matters. Yeah, it, it it
2: informs the response. Yeah, an encouraging quote I heard this last week. Yeah, I can't quote verbatim, but it's basically I think the 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 uh, preacher he borrowed from Augustine somewhat, but he. Just, you know, what, what God commanded he does for us in our new life in Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit and then rewards us in eternity as though we had done it ourselves <laughs> wow.
0: wow I really like that that's really good well since you brought that up Jeremy would you like to pray for us as we close
2: then <laughs> thanks Father we <laughs> praise you uh, for your love for us that you have revealed yourself through your word that it's in your word uh, that we find christ and as we have seen uh just into this uh, study today and just as we read your word we realize that the the whole of scripture uh is about christ it is about redemption leading us to uh to him and father we we praise you that you have Uh, so graciously saved us as sinners that you have lavished us in your love in christ that you have filled us with your holy spirit that you have um, that you do your your the works that you have prepared uh, before the foundations of the earth that you allow us to do those and then you reward us in eternity as though we've done ourselves we praise you for uh just your great love for us i pray for damien as he brings your word to us this morning Just strengthen him, uh, strengthen us as we, uh, as your people, sit under the authority of Scripture uh, and entrust ourselves to your loving guidance. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.